Thank you so much for listening to Honestly Unorthodox. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, but just don't know where to start, have no fear. Pretty Easy Podcast is here to get your podcast off the ground and sounding great at an extremely affordable rate. Pretty Easy Podcast helps new and seasoned podcasters by providing production, editing, and podcast management assistance. With Pretty Easy Podcasts, you can focus on your show's content while having a reliable tag team partner handle any and all of the technical aspects of podcasting to help your show sound great. As someone who clearly loves to hear themselves speak, I am completely uninterested in learning all of the mechanics of the technicalities of podcasting, the editing, and even the uploading of certain digital material that's needed to make this podcast sound as great as it does. And Pretty Easy Podcast has taken care of all of that for me, and they continue to indulge my love for getting all of this information out to you without any stress and any concern. You can go to prettyeasypodcast.com and get started today. Working with Alan and Melissa really has helped me avoid these roadblocks that so many podcasters run into with the recording, the editing, the feed management. Whether you're new to it or you already have a show, going to prettyeasypodcast.com really makes podcasting just that. Pretty easy. And now, let's get to the show. He who fights monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. I am on the unfettered pursuit of truth. I'm Kayla Perry, and this is Honestly Unorthodox. Okay, welcome back to Honestly Unorthodox. Today, we have a returning guest that I always look forward to talking to, Dominique. Welcome back after a long break. Hello, I'm happy to be back. I know, I know. We were just uh, catching up on the time since the last time you were on. Do you remember the last conversation that we had when you were on? It was like a uh, catch up. We um, just a casual convo. Oh, what were we talking about? It, we were talking about how everybody wants to be autistic or have like oh, OCD yeah, or have some sort of right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. That was a good one. That was mm-hmm. a good one. I like that one. Yeah, I do too. We're going to get to that possibly a little Mm -hmm. bit later because we've talked about it so much. So we'll do something like adjacent to that, but I want to, uh, I love how prepared you are. I'm like, I have a notepad, Dominique. I'm ready. You know? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm ready. It's a haphazard notepad. It looks very like serial killer. I don't know if you could like see this. Oh yeah. 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 Totally. You're like, yeah, that's manifesto style right there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Top of the top of the memo here. I heard a concept recently called the disease of civilization. Okay. I can't stop talking about it because I feel like now I'm just seeing examples of it everywhere. <laughs> but okay. essentially, Peter Atia, he was on Barry Weiss's honestly quite a few times. He's um he's a doctor. He's starting to get into Uh, studying longevity and looking more into I hate the word holistic because it just has such a hippy dippy vibe to it but he really is trying to look at the the basic holistic for lack of a better word strategies that we could use to extend life like exercise nutrition and sleep he says that the disease of civilization (laughs) aka the world is advancing so far beyond what humans were built for mm-hmm. that it makes it harder to rely on those basic principles. Like harder to rely on sleep, exercise, that kind of thing? Yeah, like harder to trust it because we believe that it's almost too simple. Um And there are so many other things at our disposal, like liposuction and um, fried food. <laughs> and vaping and all of these reasons why we're not sleeping and then there's big pharma which is a a whole conversation in and of itself yes no i mean then yeah i would agree with the disease of civilization i feel like there's a like um i don't know if you ever did you ever read the uh yuval noah harari book no what's it called um sapiens it was 
I've, I've, yeah. I've seen excerpts of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's a good one. And like his whole thesis basically, you know, it goes into the history of, of humans and, and how we evolved and stuff. And he has a section about how like um, evolution uh, works in just procreation and it doesn't really, you know, it, it has no concern about uh, no concern about like the quality of mm-hmm. a being's life, just the quantity. Right. And so I think like, you know, he argued in the book how like farm animals are probably less have a have like less well being than they did in the wild. Um, but there's more of them. So mm-hmm. like from an evolutionary perspective, they they they're thriving and mm-hmm. like same for humans. So, yeah, I think probably our quality of life has gone down because of all of these different, you know, the way our, the disease of society, mm-hmm. um, but there's more of it, us and we're able to live longer and, but like our quality of life is probably not as great as it was when we were hunters and gatherers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And in part, I feel like, we see things like the paleo diet and Uh certain just certain groups try to emulate more of that hunter gatherer lifestyle. But I feel like knowing what we know and getting a hint of technology and a hint of medicine, I think human at this point, at least we're not responsible enough to handle a hunter gatherer lifestyle. I honestly believe that we have become too comfortable being complex that even if given the option, I don't think anybody would, including me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> look at what we're doing right now. This is something yeah. hunter gatherers didn't, you know. Oh, I'm a go- I'm about to get my head eaten off by a saber tooth tiger. Let me yeah. hop on a microphone and broadcast it to my tribesmen. I mean, things <laughs> were very obviously a, a lot simpler back then. Yeah, um, and I also think, like, again, back to my toleration thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I was thinking about this yesterday how we can, you know, how we have the world at our fingertips, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't need to question about basic facts of nature or life. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, like, in that way, too, I don't think we have the tolerance to live a true hunter and gatherer's lifestyle anymore. Because everything's so, we get that hit of dopamine, like, so quickly, and uh it's so and then it it fades almost faster and we need more and more of it and it's like yeah sickness really it is a total sickness it's like we are we are the hashtag tldr too long didn't read generation Mm -hmm. and we've almost we've almost embraced that in a strange way as if it's a funny little joke and frankly sometimes it is a joke it's it's meant to be a joke but you know yeah. people like me and you with our stupid evolved sophisticated brains just can't, <laughs> i think mean, look beyond the joke and it sometimes it really does make me sad that there is there's all these things like reading a book where you could derive so much information and meaning from it and you can't even suggest things like that anymore because people say i don't read books i don't read books because it's so it's not um immediately gratifying yeah it's like oh there's audible yeah (laughs) yeah exactly and you know, oh, I'm too busy, or, you know, uh-huh. like, there's always something else to do. Um, yeah, no, that's true. I know. I do feel guilty that I don't, I really, I, it's hard for me to be like, okay, I'm gonna sit down, read this book, because everything, I can get other forms of stimuli faster. Like, reading a totally. book takes time, right? Yes. And <laughs> you need to wait to be reinforced by it, you mm-hmm. know, you to, you need to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's yeah the, I mean, the reward really doesn't come till later. I feel like in those instances, a lot of the, the, I hate, it's silly to say old school joy, but like the classic joy in something like reading a book or just simply waiting without yes. having it right in this little glowing screen at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. I feel like we only enjoy it in hindsight when we look back on it. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, Right? Does that kind of make sense? I'm not sure how else to put it. Yeah, it's making me think of, um, I forget what philosopher said this, but 
the experienced self versus the remembered self. Oh, this I, my, I feel like this is like a youngy, like a Carl Jung type of concept. Was yes, it a psychologist maybe. or a philosopher? He, uh, he, I think he was a psychologist, but you know, I feel like back in those days, they were kind of one and the same. Um, <laughs> like they did a lot of philosophizing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've heard like Sam Harris talk about it before. Yes. He's had someone on his podcast, like discuss it, but, um, okay. Yeah. We need like a Jamie for this light. I know. I Where's know. Kate? Right. Where's Kate? Kate, 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 drop that shit. She's pregnant. <laughs> um, so we'll give her a break. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, like the experience self is, um, your experience in the moment. And then the remembered self is like how you look back on your life. And like, I think there's been some studies that have said that the remembered self is, you know, more like valuable or because you remember it forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it would make sense. So I Googled this. It was, Mm -hmm. tell me if this sounds right. The um, behavioral economist, Daniel Kahneman. Ah, yes. That he wrote right. Thinking Fast and Slow, so it sounds like oh, yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very much like you described, the experiencing yeah. self exists only in the present moment while the remembering self exists only in retrospect. Yeah. I've, now this leads into a question from a wonderful friend of mine, uh, your view of mindfulness and how that is something that has swept not only our field, but largely a lot of psychology related fields and not you know what i'm not even gonna say psychology just the mainstream everyone wants to be mindful and everyone wants to be only in the present moment do you feel like that almost we're present to a fault have you well let me ask you this before i answer the question Mm -hmm. (laughs) have you have do you have any experience with mindfulness or meditation or anything like that like what's been your experience I am a um, meditation dropout. I <laughs> I okay. struggle immensely with any form of meditation. Like for for me, I think to get anything out of it, it would have to be something more like a guided meditation. I just have a very difficult time with imagery, and I know that's not all that meditation is. But I, I don't yeah. know. I've just really I've really struggled. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people say initially with meditation. So I have had a fair amount of uh, experience with, you know, meditation, me and my boyfriend, my boyfriend's super into it. Like he's meditates every day, two times a day, 20 minutes, like, um, and it's been very helpful for him. And like, Um, I've also meditated not to that extent, but like, I feel like mindfulness is one of my things that I, I, I do think it has value. Um, I do too. Yeah. I think, uh, one of the ways in which I kind of like jump started or like, I don't know if that's the right word, but like jump started my meditation is my medicines that I have taken the oh, MDMA yeah you know? okay so that'll do it right <laughs> that'll, that'll do it um but yeah no it's just like I think but I think like mindfulness has really helped me in seeing that like you know every part of my consciousness or every feeling that I feel is just like a it's just like a tide right it goes in and out I, I, I think meditation has helped me with like understanding and being able to sit with those uncomfortable emotions because Mm -hmm. I've practiced like, you know, recognizing that they, they come up and then they fade away. Like, so just, yeah, I feel like in that way. That seems to be the key, right? I mean, that, yeah. that really seems to be the turn, like the, maybe the cornerstone of mindfulness is one, sitting with whatever you're sitting with, and two, recognizing and accepting that it is intense now, it's terrible now, but it it will pass as, as it will pass. things do. 
Right, because I always say, like, it, you know, you can almost feel, even if you're mindful or, or if you meditate on thoughts or, you know, whatever you meditate on, you know, your breath, you you get a sense, if you practice enough, that you're really not doing anything. You're just mm. paying attention to, you know, I, I don't know where exactly you've gotten stuck with, like, meditation, but I feel like a lot of people get stuck in that, like, you know, they feel like they're supposed to just focus on their breath, and then they have monkey mind, and they're, like, thinking of so many different things. Yes. And they're thinking about that they're thinking about all these things except the breath. So and, meta. <laughs> yeah, so meta. But then if you kind of just pull back from that and and recognize that even those thoughts are just coming in and out of the mind and like you just notice those. Is that how you pull back though? Because that's what happens to me is I sit. Okay. And typically Mm -hmm. I need to be looking at something. I have a very hard time with like the eyes closed. Yeah. That's fine. Breath ideal. So if I'm looking at something and maybe starting off with describing the features of it, then it's easier for me, but to just kind of sit. And then every time a thought comes in, Hey Kayla, uh, what will your students think about this lecture? Oh my gosh, you better respond to that 17th DM you just got, or what about that email or the, you know, the laundry list of things that we think yeah, about because totally. we're, we're diseased humans, obviously. We've <laughs> <laughs> yeah. already established that in the first 10 minutes of the, yes. This is so, right. this is so uplifting. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a very yeah. hard time getting away from that. But what do you mean you have a hard time getting away from that in that you just, you, you notice those thoughts and then they disturb you and then you're like, ah. I'm distracted. And then what? I notice them. And then I think I, I try so hard to tell myself, notice them, Kayla, notice them. And then I almost notice them so much that then I ruminate on them. And then I think about them. And now I'm going into, you know, mm-hmm. mentally planning out my entire day. And which has pulled me entirely from the experience of mindfulness because I'm not in the present moment. I'm in the 18 moments following yeah, you're thinking about the future moments. That yes, that's yeah. why I really, really struggle. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Like, you kind of get pulled away from those thoughts. I mm-hmm. think what <laughs> me and me and my boyfriend always joke, uh, Sam Harris, Lord and Savior. Um, <laughs> I think what Sam Harris would say is because we have the waking up, the uh, waking up app. And so he does guided meditations. Oh, that's cool. I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah. It's like, I think it's like five or ten a month. But you can email him if you can't afford it. And he's, you know, he's big on that. So so he does guided meditations. And I think for the most basic meditations, like for the intros, he would say, like, when that happens, when you recognize it, that's good. Just go back to the breath or go back to whatever you're looking at. It seems mm-hmm. like your anchor is the thing, mm-hmm. is the visual. And then just as long as you recognize it and kind of like not divert, but just let your mind flow back to the anchor, you know, then eventually you'll get better and better at recognizing it. And then it even becomes interesting. Like, mm. it, 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 I don't know, at least for me, it becomes interesting, like, noticing that I, I, I won't be thinking of something. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it'll just flow in my mind, like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I'll think of a memory, something that happened five years ago. And it's just like a interesting thing of consciousness that, you know, it's just something that I notice and I'm not trying to control it or push it away or whatever. I just watch the thought or watch the memory. And then it like, and then I notice how another thing comes up in my mind. Oh. And then I kind of just notice like the river of consciousness flowing with thoughts and feelings that come in and out. Sorry, I'm getting very wooey, but like, no, this is good. This is good. So, so thinking then if the thing is a memory, because technically that's a retrospect thing. Is that acceptable in the realm of mindfulness then? 
I would say so because it's just, I think mindfulness, to me at least, is just paying attention to your conscious experience. And if your conscious experience contains thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, uh, sensations, all these things, it's just shining a light and attending to all of these different mm. qualities of consciousness. It's not controlling anything, you know? Maybe so, that's yeah. maybe that's the the challenge is people yeah. like me who are, are kind of scatterbrained and everything is about what the next thing is and what the next oh, accomplishment yeah. is and, and whatever it is. Yeah. Maybe trying to control it a little bit too much, but telling myself I'm not controlling it is, uh, is it becomes this loop that I, that I can't get myself out of. And then I tell myself at the end of it, like, see, I told, see, I told you mindfulness isn't for me. And then yeah. I just kind of let it, you know, fall by the wayside. But a lot of, I think a lot of people say that mindfulness isn't for them. Like, I think that's a common thought when you initially start it because I don't know. It's like one, it's at first, it doesn't feel gratifying or mm -hmm. reinforcing as we would say. As like analysts. reading a book. Right. So because you're just noticing how crazy you are like you know <laughs> like you're just realizing how you know just that your mind is like a monkey mind that's where that term comes from yeah um and then but I think it becomes more like reinforcing when you're be you're able to take interest in your conscious experience and huh. just kind of not judge it that's the other thing because the judgment, that's another thought and feeling. And then it's a bad feeling. So it has a feeling tone of a negative experience. And then that punishes people from doing it, you know? So. Do you think there are any people that, like going back to the question of, or maybe the statement, mindfulness isn't for me. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone that mindfulness is not for? Or do you think it could be for everybody or should be for everybody? No, I think everyone could benefit from mindfulness. Now, there's different, I think there's different types of like meditation and mindfulness practice, right? There's tons of anxious or anxious, <laughs> ancient versions of <laughs> being able to be mindful. Like, um, you know, uh, one form is called metta. Mm -hmm. Where you, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like where you wish love and well-being upon everyone and yourself. Mm. And it's it's very like you, you attend to um, positive feelings towards others and yourself. And I think that can be beneficial. Um, but I think the, I think most of the research has been done on like mindfulness meditation, which mm. is just like paying attention to consciousness. Um, but yeah, no, I think everyone could get something from mindfulness. Um, yeah. So this reminds me of a podcast I was listening to recently. Uh, there's this, he's a journalist. His name is Tim Kreider and he wrote this beautiful piece. And I don't know if this was a standalone piece or if it was part of one of his books called we learn nothing, but it reminds me of what you're talking about of okay. how we come to these realizations about how fundamentally fucked up we all are. And, it, and it's sitting and when it sits right in front of our face, mm -hmm. it, like you said, it shines this light on it. <laughs> it really starts to expose even more little pimples and pores and flaws in an already very jarring image of ourselves. Yeah. And he, he makes this joke that, you know, he says nobody should have know what their ass looks like. That's just an image of ourselves that we have no business knowing. And I'm going to try to find okay. the, the exact, <laughs> the full quote is, if we want the rewards of being loved, we have to submit to the mortifying ordeal of being known, which he essentially is saying mm -hmm. that, you know, if we want to reap all of the rewards and benefits of life, then we also have to be willing to expose ourselves 
all of ourselves, every inch of ourselves to our own conscience and other people. And for some yeah. reason, talking about this just reminded me of that. Yeah. And be like vulnerable to others and to ourselves. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's very difficult now because we live in this culture of, well, if it doesn't feel good, then stop doing it. Yeah, I know. I think that relates a lot to like mindfulness and, you know, my one liner, I've definitely said it on the podcast before <laughs> is, and this is something I don't always live up to, of course, but it's, it's like sitting in the discomfort. And I think a lot of people are not equipped nowadays to even want to try. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like, you know, it becomes like a a challenge or a game. If I'm like, you know, like in a moment, but like I, I play, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I play this game when I'm driving. I get very road ragey. I, I, I get, I'm, I feel anger strongly. <laughs> That's a strong emotion for me. Um, and so road rage is one of them. And so like mm-hmm. I play this game with myself where I I say, I'm like, okay, Dominique, next time when you feel that rage or like if a car frustrates you, like try not to react and just try to feel the emotion flow in you and then dissipate because it always does. It dissipates and try to pay attention to that dissipate, uh, dissipation of it. And it's hard to do Mm -hmm. because sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll react. I'll like hands all on the horn and I'll be like, ah, and do it this time. (laughs) And then I'll like, feel like, Oh, I just want to honk the horn. Um, That one escaped me. That moment escaped me. Yeah. And so, like, I think even in those moments, like, that is uncomfortable, that feeling Mm -hmm. of rage. And so I think a way my body tries to escape it is by, like, you know, like, uh, what's the word? Like, um, outlashing. No, that's Mm -hmm. not a word. Like lashing out, right? Lashing out. Yeah, I like outlashing better. It kind of just combines it into yeah. uh, into so its like own lashing thing. Out. Yeah, um, but like if I were to if I tried to just sit with the discomfort of the rage, and then that becomes interesting, and then I can turn in and really try to place the feeling like. Where do I feel it in my body? How long does it last for? You know, that kind of stuff. And like, yeah, I don't know. So I think it could be really beneficial if like people took an interest in their uncomfortable feelings. I really, I really like the cue of that, that you said a few times that it becomes interesting. I think maybe if I were more willing to see it that way, like see it as this will be an interesting experiment for myself I wonder if that would would be the perspective change I needed because I think I go into it already believing that it's not going to work or believing that I'm going to hit a roadblock and obviously when we go into something biased we 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 know how that tends to end yeah well and also hard feelings are hard Mm -hmm. like because they're unpleasant so yeah like that's such a natural tendency but, I mean, I do think that in this day and age, like, I think you were talking the one of the podcasts about um, the coddling of the American mind. And I think, you know, he was so correct in, when he said that, you know, the younger generation and, like, their parents are almost, you know, view people as fragile. Mm-hmm. When in reality, we're not. We're anti-fragile, you know? Mm-hmm. Um we're supposed to be like, yeah, like our primordial right. selves were, were very, right. very durable people, <laughs> clearly. Otherwise yeah. we wouldn't be here. Yeah. But yeah, I'm really excited for the canceling of the American mind. For the can. Oh, that's the next His book. New book. Right? Yeah. I think it's coming out in October already. So I, I forget when he announced it. It might've been like back in March. Maybe I'm dating it back a little bit too far. Oh, but when yeah. I first saw it, I thought, my God, that is so far away. And we're, mm-hmm. we're coming up on August almost. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be great. I'm excited for that. 
I know. I'm curious because in the coddling, it was great because he really set the stage for all of these examples of fragility and how we we put too much stock in our biased emotions and we're very emotionally driven or we have become very emotionally driven. I would be curious to see where he goes with the canceling. Yeah, I, wonder, I know. Like what change yeah. direction it's going to take. Yeah. Yeah. Like does by canceling of the American mind, does he mean that this is kind of a course correction type of thing? That's what I've been wondering this whole time. Cause there isn't any information about it. Just the really yeah, cool cover. <laughs> That'll be definitely very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to rewind a little bit. We were talking okay. for, I don't know how we brought up children. Maybe did we bring up children? Oh, procreation and how humans were essentially only built to procreate. And we have very minimal information. Actually, we have zero information about courtship and flirting and relationships in the time of cavemen. I mean, we just have no idea how those things happen. I think a lot of raping went on. I would think so too. I mean, that (laughs) would have to be the only means, but would would the cave women at that time know it was rape? I don't, I think mo- a lot of the animal kingdom procreates They via just kind of like hoist. Rape. Yeah, they like yeah. hoist themselves onto the other because that's. I would say so. I don't think a female duck says, yes, sir, you may. Yeah. You may duck me right now. Yeah. That was a good one. <laughs> that was, go, Dominic's patting yourself on the back. I'm, yeah. I'm going to pat you on the screen. That was a great one. That was a really good one. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know yeah. <laughs> the duck isn't, you know, she's not thinking along the lines of me too. I mean, she's, she's a duck. That's she's going to. And that's why males are, I would say, generally physically stronger. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like so evolutionarily is, speaking, yes. Evolutionarily speaking, we were built to procreate with our advancement in language and cognition and emotional whatever. <laughs> yeah. I want your take on men and women that do not want kids. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do, do you want something more specific or should I start ask, should I ask you an overly personal question? Do you want kids? Do I want kids? Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so nervous laughter. Okay. Cue nervous yeah. laughter. Got it. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a very unique situation. One, I, I feel like, so because of my heart problem, it biologically for me to have kids, like I can biologically, but it it would I would definitely be a high risk pregnancy and mm-hmm. my doctors don't recommend it at this point in time. So that's the one ca- caveat that I'm faced with. Mm-hmm. I um uh I used to feel very strongly in that I didn't want kids because I like glommed on to this philosophical argument um I forget what his name was but he was on uh, Sam Harris the one and only and (laughs) he was he was on his podcast and his argument was when you bring a life into the world you're subjecting them to suffering and well-being and so like you can look at that like a math equation like suffering is negative and well-being is positive and Mm -hmm. so you're essentially you're adding suffering to the world and so adding suffering to the world is a net negative while not bringing in positive to the world and not bringing in negative to the world is a net positive so it's like this very mathematically driven like philosophical equation anyway uh I really liked that argument and I was like yeah I don't want to bring suffering into the world Mm -hmm. um And now I genuinely feel like it's a hormonal feeling for me. Like, Mm. I I don't know if it's the stage of my life, if it's because I see other friends my age. How old are you, Dominique? I'm 
going to be turning 29 in okay so like basically your ovaries are on fire essentially yeah (laughs) right and so um yeah and my boyfriend he does not want kids um like hardcore does not want them we play this game of zero to ten how much do you want kids and is he home right now he's home right now yeah yeah yeah. can he come talk i i did you see that I posted this? I posted, I was, I've been so interested in this, Dominique. I'm so sorry to cut you off, by the way. Yeah, no, this I one. am just so interested in this topic recently of, I think it's more normal for women to not want kids. I have been hard pressed to find a male that does not want kids. Really? Because he, he will say the opposite. Really? Yeah. So he's at a consistent two. And I feel like I range from like, four to six like depending on also I don't know if it's dependent on my cycle as well Mm -hmm. but like I do shift back and forth sure that's understandable Um, I would think do you want me to see if I can grab him I don't yes okay (laughs) okay so I don't know if you heard him he's coming in in 10 minutes but he would he said he said don't want them they suck Okay, uh, I'm I'm of the same belief. Um, <laughs> I I may expand upon that a little bit differently. Okay. I I'm great with kids. Uh, I actually find them entertaining sometimes. I would imagine you're a BCBA, yeah. <laughs> and I I find them cute. I find them fun. There have been Me moments, too. shreds, like uh-huh. millisecond shreds where I say, huh, I wonder what that would be like. And almost before I could squeak out the entire sentence, the sentiment is gone. And I'm like, absolutely not. But what is that absolutely not coming from? That's that's what I'm not sure of. I, I don't I don't know. I I wonder if there really are people that are just kind of built without that motherly instinct. I don't know. Because when I See, was I younger, feel like I have that. And I would say, do you have that? I feel like I am caring. I, I work with kids in my job. You know, like, I love kids. And, like, I feel like I do have that, I don't know, that motherly, I don't know if it's an instinct, but the the you know, the characteristic of like, very caring. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. But Dylan has a kid, right? He does. Yeah, he does. Dylan always wanted a family. So does he want more? No. Oh, God, no. So so Dylan, you know what, let's just have him Dylan, come here. We're inviting everyone. (laughs) Okay, so we're talking about... Here, come sit. You need to talk to the microphone. We're talking about what you and me talked about the other day, how you always wanted a family. Dylan, you always you always wanted a family. Yeah. For how long? That's a good question. I think always, you know, when you were coherent of what a family is, I guess, and you understood what it was. Why did you want a family? Uh, I think it was the way that I was raised, for one, and two... It was because I was adopted and I um, wanted, yeah, I wanted a, a blood relative that I could, um, that I could uh, meet for the first time. So my son was the first blood relative that I ever met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense that that's like really important to you. Yeah. 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 So, so Dylan had the connection. It sounds like from, he was adopted so he didn't have that tie to his biological parents and he didn't even know who they were until what was it Dylan like four or five years ago 2020 2020 during the pandemic was when he met his biological family so in that sense I could see where it the motivation would be there to to create your own child and and we'll hear from from your boyfriend about this. I feel like the male, the biological male urge to have kids is stronger than women. I don't. I just. I've well, never I, met a man that doesn't want to have kids. I think the female urge is stronger to want to care for something oh. else. Like I feel that strongly. 
which is why okay. I have a cat now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is part, actually, probably a little bit of the reason. Like, that caring maternal instinct of, like, you know, taking care of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, like, uh, maybe that's also why the women in a relationship, like, are more of the not the caretakers, but, you know, make dinners, clean up around the house, like, yeah, you know, it's very maternal. Um, mm-hmm. So I do feel that urge, but you're saying you don't feel that urge, you just enjoy kids. Um, Because you find them funny, which they are. Yeah, I, I, I feel like even when I was younger, I would hear, and when I say younger, I mean teenage years, going into college, early 20s, I would hear friends of mine say things like, when I get older and when I get married and have kids and that was something I always knew I never wanted. I mean, that thought would have never come out of my mouth because I, I never once had any shred of me that felt like I wanted children. And I, I, I I don't know. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because I learned from a very young age that me getting pregnant would be next to impossible. Um, uh, Almost infertile, basically. So I don't know if that was part of it. And it just Mm -hmm. kind of colored my my view of kids. Like, well, I can't have them anyway, so I don't want them. I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like I maybe had a sense like that too when I was younger. I mean, I think... This is going to take a turn, but I don't mean it to take a turn. No, go wherever you want. (laughs) I think when I was a kid, I I had trouble picturing my future at all um, Mm -hmm. because of, like, my heart condition and all that. So I think to be along, to, like, fit in as, like, one of the girls, like, I would maybe fantasize about, like, having kids. But I don't think I deeply thought about it before like yeah I don't know right but yeah no I mean I don't know it's it seems very difficult and uh parenting you mean yeah yeah um I almost think it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, it's like the grass is greener. Like, there's great things about having kids. I'm sure there's like high, you know, my mom always describes being a parent as like the highest highs and the lowest lows. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I mean, I believe her. Um, And so I probably won't experience those high highs, but I'm not going to experience those low lows and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it's okay, Dylan. Yeah, so I think a big excuse me proponent of having children is how we were raised. I was raised in a very religious household, and this is just stuff that has been you know kind of passed on for generations and generations uh you're you're supposed to get married and you're supposed to have kids and then you're supposed to retire and you know whatever happens happens um but religion culture i think plays a huge part in our own development uh individually like okay well i guess this is what i'm supposed to do i'm supposed to like i said i'm supposed to get a job i'm supposed to get married i'm supposed to have kids and then grandkids, and then possibly great-grandkids. So I think that's very generalized, um, but it's very easy to to kind of think that way. Um, so that played a part as well. Um, right. But, you know, it's a different time these days. It's a different time. Yeah. We're having children later and L- Later life. and later, yeah. And yeah, and that is a what's the word I want to look for an idea that all of these issues that children are having oh like in terms of so there were studies Dylan's referring to where older parents specifically older fathers the, the likelihood of having a child with a disability specifically autism is considerably higher 
And Down syndrome, too. And right? Down syndrome, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that, um, that would be a deterrent for me. Yeah. I mean, it's. Don't mean to cancel you again. I know. Damn it. We better, we better edit this out or I should make it very clear, Dominique, that you are. I mean, yeah. 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 No, you, uh, this is the thing is we see, we work with a lot of people with disabilities, very severely, profoundly impaired by their disability. And I think we, we really, we don't even consider the lives of those parents a lot of the time because we're so busy looking at those that are less impacted. And we're looking at things like, you know what? I know your life is incredibly difficult, mm -hmm. but I think it's more important to figure out if a rainbow infinity sign is less offensive than a puzzle piece. Like yeah. It, it, yeah. these ridiculous little things we focus on. And then meanwhile, we have parents that are barely keeping it together yeah Her. and i honestly like i think not to rehash that whole thing again but like i think the thing i think a topic that maybe wasn't discussed as much is like the well-being of the individual with the profound disability and uh -huh. like how you know cruel or dispassionate is it for us to not consider that like i'm sorry if you if you have a profound intellectual disability along with autism or down syndrome what, whatever it may be and de depending on the level of challenges you face like mm -hmm. the more challenges assuming like I'm assuming the more suffering you're enduring as that individual and yeah. you know as someone I like to think of myself as compassionate and like caring about others and um I just think that would definitely be a consideration. I don't want to bring a life into the world that is going to suffer unreasonably. Um, yeah, and undeservedly. And, and I mean, undeservingly, totally. That's the worst. That's the worst part of it is, you know, and like you said, I don't necessarily want to rehash all of this either. But if we're looking right. more at quality of life. Uh, Dylan and I both work with adults. Dylan works with more of those severely impacted adults. I work with the mentally ill population. Yeah. Both of them, I mean, their lives just seem so sad. I mean, they're either, the people I work with are infantilized and given crossword puzzles and coloring books as if they're four years old and they're spoken down to. And they're on nine different psychiatric medications where they're literally just you know, the term institutionalized, it's, it's awful to see oh, yeah. in person. And, and you have to, there is no way that these people are happy. And then Dylan works with people. I'm looking at his arms right now. They're like covered in scars and scratches and bruises. I mean, that can't be a very pleasant existence for the person that, that does that. Yeah. To others oh. or themselves. Yeah, I totally agree. And I don't I don't think it's it's wrong or evil to you know discuss the well-being versus the suffering of an individual of a of a unborn life, you know, in 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 we're we're talking hypothetics, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's a uh, important question to balance well-being and suffering mm -hmm. you know and how can you tell yeah great right? question if they can't tell you how do you know how do you know yeah maybe that's just their excitement like oh wow it makes me happy when i you know grab dylan's arm and you know and and, and dig my fingers into it um <laughs> like it feels good to you know, tell somebody off, you know, during a road rage or somebody cut you off while you're driving. Like, yeah, that felt good. So I mean, who knows? And that's, that's the unfortunate aspect is we don't really know with a lot yeah. of these participants, like what they're actually feeling, what they are trying to say. Well, that's when people start assuming yeah. that's when people start assuming what they must be feeling or must be thinking. And I think that is one of the most non-compassionate things we could do is right. tell ourselves, well, they're feeling this. And I, I sometimes I wonder if we do that because it makes us feel better versus yeah. what's actually in the best interest 
of the person. I mean, this is, I feel like this is what happens a lot in cases of assisted suicide where, you know, uh, an adult, obviously you have to be an adult to elect to do something like that, where if you elected to go through with assisted suicide, the family members, I'm, most of the time, because they love this person are like, we are going to do everything possible to keep you alive. Right. Yeah. You almost have to look at the, I'm not, I don't know if ethical would be the right word, but the, the side of it where, well, why do you want to keep this person alive if, if they are abs- if they're in pain, if they're miserable, if they're, I don't know, they're looking at a life of incarceration or, mm-hmm. or further suffering. It's like, so you're just keeping them alive for you? Yeah. Or, you know? Well, that's an interesting point because I think we all have probably said or have heard when a loved one passes away, let's just say that they had like a chronic illness or something along those lines and they were suffering. Yeah. And they just died naturally because of those symptoms, a symptom. And what do we say? At least he or she is not suffering anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the case of like mental illness, like, depression you know if someone um i don't know if you've ever seen the documentary it's called dying in oregon and it's about the no the assisted suicide law um mm-hmm. but so they have a, a individual who elects to to you know have assisted suicide and he has depression and i remember when i saw the documentary this was like a few years back i bristled at that one but i didn't really bristle at the one with the cancer or with the, I don't know, Lou Gehrig's disease, like there were, a mul- you know, multiple chronic illnesses. Um, and I think the reason for that is because one, depression is more treatable than inoperable cancer one. And I also think that you have to measure like, their future potential that's also being lost and their future well-being that will forever be lost so like if someone has depression i think their family members or like whoever bristles against like the assisted suicide idea may think something like well if we only find the right concoction this depression could be cured or managed and then their well-being can spike and if they die now they won't have you know it's like the opportunity cost yeah yeah so so things like mental illness it seems like it's more hopeful in terms of the prognosis versus something like a terminal illness so maybe that's why it's harder to let go of you know i think so i think certain right i mean would you say that you work more in that like mental health space would you say that you know i think also with like psychedelic research coming up the pipeline yeah Um, i think that's gonna be huge like yeah i think that depression is is treatable although i don't have a lot of confidence in ssris right because of the medicine like a few years back but um yeah cbt mindfulness (laughs) which are wide like over and over repetitively proven to be very effective techniques to treat a whole array of psychiatric conditions so yeah i agree with you in the sense of it it it, now we're getting to the ethical question of let's say i think i saw something recently there was someone in canada um he was deaf and he had cochlear implants that really weren't very effective and he said that, and he, this was an acquired deafness. So he was not born deaf. Um, and it just, it led to just this major depression and that he just couldn't shake. And he said, my life is just, you know, I, I, I loved music. I was a musician. I can't do anything that I love anymore because I'm deaf and I can't hear now. And even with my cochlear implants, I just can't do it. So he, he was wanting to go through with assisted suicide Hmm. or someone like that or anyone who gets to the point of considering suicide your judgment is obviously quite impaired so then that yeah that ethical question of okay should there's the prolonging suffering side but then it's the well you're also not thinking clearly side 
Right. I know because it's not. It's. It's a atypical thought to have for a human, right? Because mm-hmm. we have natural instincts to survive and to not die, and so yeah. something's off kilter in the brain if mm-hmm. you're having thoughts of suicide. My other question about assisted suicide, though, in cases like those where like um, there's depression, um, why are we focusing on? assisted suicide if if someone really wanted to commit suicide they could commit you know what i mean yeah i mean especially now like, that's is it just to make very it accessible or like i don't know well, i feel like i also question that like, that's why they really wanted it they yeah no. well there are the some of these places are are literally called things like uh dying with dignity so i think that yeah. has more to do with giving them the opportunity to die with some sort of dignity, I guess. Although I'm not sure how, I don't know how different that would be versus just committing suicide yourself. Other than, I mean, I don't know, maybe falling into a permanent sleep in a safe place surrounded by people that love you is more dignified than say something like suicide by cop, which is obviously very painful and scary and demoralizing. It can be. What right. was that? Um, that I don't even know if it's a documentary. We just watched it on Netflix about the gorilla clans. Oh, Chimp Empire. Yes, where the the main uh, the alpha the, the alpha male yeah. got injured and he just walked away from the yes. tribe and died by himself. Yes, that's that is so sad. Oh Wait, my God! A gorilla Dominique. walked away and died. Yeah. yeah. So Chimp Empire is just, yeah. it is a beautifully filmed documentary on Netflix that I'm. It's really cool because it, it's all about the hierarchies and like social hierarchical structures oh, within cool. and how similar they are to human beings. I mean, these animals will order hits on each other and they will plot killings okay. and like mass killings ahead of time. It's it's very interesting to see animals with technically no English language, be able to do something like that. Yeah. And and the alpha male is so prideful that he, if he's injured or he knows he's about to die, they will find a place to go die by themselves. And part of me wonders, is that them die, attempting to die with dignity, you think? Mm. Or is that just like an instinctual thing? Yeah, I feel like, isn't that a thing that dogs do too? Yeah. They like, like find I, a random place to just, this is where I'm about to die. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. That's so sad. It's natural, you think? I do. I think if there's an instinct. Dominic's boyfriend's coming. Oh, okay. Oh, hey. Hi. We're talking about uh, dying. We're talking about death, dying, and not wanting children. Oh, no, that's every day for me. What's up? Yeah, that <laughs> really is every day. This, sound, this sounds like Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it pretty much is, yeah. <laughs> what was your name? Grant. Nice to meet you. Grant, Grant. Okay, I'm Kayla. Nice to meet you. Okay, Grant. Earlier, we're going to rewind now back to this cover to the conversation of kids. I was telling Dominique that I believed it was a little bit more normal for women to not want children and it has been very hard for me to find men that do not want children but she said you you saw it a little differently you found one <laughs> yeah <laughs> right in front of me this is perfect okay yeah. have you always felt this way yeah pretty much i mean as i've gotten older into my late 20s i've kind of thought eh, maybe you know i've kind of waited for the whole paternal he, instinct to he's kick gotten in. up to a two like we said yeah, Whoa. like, okay, maybe someday that potato instinct will take kick in, you know, but yeah, I mean, if I look at my life in two paths between kids and not kids, I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'd have more fun without kids. Like, I feel like I just have a better life that way. So yeah. still not looking at it, to be honest. <laughs> so, what made you go from a zero to a two? I think there's an element of kind of growing the next generation, like sort of like that kind of mentorship and like teaching somebody, you know, how to try to be a good person and like how to try to do good in the world and try to like build up the world. But, and then I hear from other parents, especially at work who has young kids and it's just, you know, screaming and crying and shitting and all that stuff. And I'm just like, (laughs) 
<laughs> so I like what she does for work, honestly. It yeah. sounds like Dominique's job. It sounds awful. The way parents describe parenting, oh, yeah. they... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like you said, Dominique, that they they will always seem to revert back to those really high highs that you know maybe people like me and Grant will not experience at least in that way. I'm not. I've never been interested. I'm still waiting for that maternal instinct to Grant. So I'm right there with you. I, I, it just th- there's nothing about it that sounds appealing. And sometimes I wonder if that's people might consider it a lack of maturity. Do you think maturity has anything to do with it? Yeah, I don't know. I think for some people it may be, and I've kind of wondered that in myself, like whether for me it's also a quote-unquote immature thing. Not immature, but um, I think... Yeah, maybe that was the wrong word. Perceived as selfish. Sure. Which okay, I mean, that's yeah. on par. Yeah. To not want kids. Sure. Which also, like, I feel like I'm kind of more comfortable with being, you know, quote-unquote immature in that way. Like, I feel like... I give a lot of my money to charity. I try to do good in the world. I try to improve the world around me. And like, I feel like in terms of a kind of giving back to the world, mm-hmm. you know, I'm meeting my quota. And I feel like I can more effectively do that without kids, to be honest. Like you look at the cost of a child versus you look at the cost of something like bed nets and malaria or like other very effective ways to save lives and to improve lives in the world. It's way more cost effective to like make more money, save that money, <laughs> and then give it to charity yeah. you now to the poorest people in the world than it is sure. to raise a little shit spawn and then like you know, try to give them a good life so you know i think yeah. from like a doing good perspective i think having kids in my opinion is actually kind of a it's the less effective route although yeah, it's still a way to do it true. and yeah if people want to call me immature for just like wanting to have a good life and wanting to enjoy myself in life then yeah fuck it i'm immature I'm immature for life. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I, I love how you took it from the the economically advantageous angle of you know we're already overpopulated. That Why kisses her off so much because I always do. I'm like, okay, what's the dollar cost average here between this and this? Like, how do we how do we put this in a spreadsheet? Yeah. <laughs> how do we put this in, a, in an Excel graph? How is this going exactly. to exactly. make sense to us? I mean, Dominique, you're you're kind of along the same lines though in terms yeah. of the more analytical side. So now I'm going to say yeah. something that of course i'm probably going to be called a sexist next week that'll be a different thing because you're a female i'm assuming that the emotional side of you that brings you to that four to six range overrides the analytical side that's what i think because we um i feel like one of our first bonding moments like we met on hinge right and we first (laughs) um and one of our first topics of conversation was um, effective altruism, like William McCaskill, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I hear what he says that he can be more effective and like bring good to the world without having a kid. And I totally agree with that, but you're right. It's my emotional side. And it's like that care, that drive to care and mm-hmm. like the love that I have for children and like how much, I just enjoy being around them and like, yeah, I think that's what kind of gets me to a higher range than him. Mm. And there's always that balance between the kind of quote unquote optimal life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, depending mm-hmm. on how much you know you want to do good within the world. And then also just enjoying your life. Like yeah. one could sleep on a bean bag and like, you know, um, <laughs> live in the shittiest of apartments and like basically live off of 200 bucks a month Still and go fine. like have a career they hate that makes a ton of money and then try to donate that as much as possible. But mm-hmm. what's the point of that? Like you're going to get burnt out like immediately. Like you're just not going to be able to sustain that over the course of 40, 50 years. So yeah. And I think it's a similar thing with kids where it's like, it's not like the optimal solution, but. And you just like kids less. You yeah. don't like kids. As oh, I have no interest in kids. He no doesn't <laughs> like kids yeah, at all. No. I, I don't know how to be a child. I treat it like an uncle. I'm like, nice to meet you. Crack it up. <laughs> so what do you do for a living? You're happy being the cool uncle. Yeah, oh, the cool yeah. uncle oh, yeah. that like starts saying like, "Do you want to talk about Socrates and Nietzsche? Is that something you're yeah. interested in?" Four year old. Cool is debatable. Yeah. Uncle would probably happen. Yeah. <laughs> Grant is like that would one thousand percent be the topic of conversation with a preschooler. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so what are you going to be when you grow up? Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know, but I think as you get, you know, I have one son, and he's. 
okay-ish, you know, mentally. <clears throat> I love them to death, but you get to a point where, like, you already went through it, so it's just interesting. Uh, this is an interesting conversation because me being the age that I am, like, I would never fucking do that again in my life. <laughs> You know, like so I, it made you want kids less. Well, but it yeah. doesn't. It's not even less. Like I could not go through that right now. Where sure. I, it, in my age, in my mental state, like why the fuck would I put myself through that again? And it sure. really wasn't yeah. that bad. But I already have a lot of things, a lot of more things that are more important, more stressful. I can't imagine doing that. Yeah, I can't imagine my <laughs> brother. I don't know if he's gonna hear this. He, um, he had his first child i guess mm-hmm. it's the only child yeah um when he was 40 and i'm thinking why the hell would you have <laughs> a child at 40 that's when my parents had me yeah like what really yeah and he wanted kids okay. he wanted a child yeah that's like, you uh, sure. yeah whatever <laughs> you eventually end up thinking the way that you guys are thinking but it it's it yeah sure yeah that makes sense so really, as we wrap up really quick, so do you guys think there's any rational reason to have children? Yes. Dylan thinks yes. Well, yeah, of course, from an evolutionary perspective. Is what that rational, think? though? Or is that just a predisposition? Well, yeah, is evolution really rational? Then we, no, it's not. <laughs> like ever. But then, but then we have to grapple with, is it a net positive? True. For humans to live, or is it a net negative? Yeah. Right. I, I think it's prideful. Mm. It's a, it's a source yeah. of pride. Yeah, having kids. Yeah, yeah. Because you want to boast about them, like, oh, look at what my son did. Look at my daughter. Does. Yeah, like I've been around parents. That's why you get the buffer sticker. Oh, my, my, uh, my child sleeping <laughs> at so and so high school. It's an no. ego boost, so yeah. it's self-serving, yeah, it's really. Self-serving, absolutely. It's not. For it's them. like the that's like the wrong reason to have kids. No, that's that I would say. Right. Have yeah. These days, not back in the day where you needed like free help on the farm, so you had a bunch yeah. of kids to help. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not like that. It's days. not like you know what we're adding an acre. We could use little Johnny on the tractor over there. Or so I'll, I'll meet you. Mail, I'll know. meet you upstairs in ten minutes. Somebody's got to work this hoe. <laughs> Let's go. I finished my supper. Time. Time to churn some butter, baby. Yep. Get back out there. Get back out there. Dominique and Grant, anything else that is worthy of discussion? We could talk for, I could talk for hours about this. My God. Literally. No, I have shit to talk to you about, but I, with the recording off because it's about, um, (laughs) some, some other stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, Grant, thank you for letting us pull you out of whatever you were doing. Dominique, thank you for coming back. Dylan, thank you for letting me pull you out of whatever you were doing. I was putting your laundry in the dryer. Thank you. Oh my gosh, the the gender oh. roles have reversed. It's adorable. You asked me to. I didn't even think about it. Why do? Why do I have a podcast? On that note, see you guys next week.